Hello and welcome to the Generation Gap podcast here with me, Clive Glover, and with Anna Lofts. Hello, Anna. Hi, Clive. We're going to talk about something called Everyday Sexism, which is actually the name of a website and, in fact, later a book by a um, journalist and writer, uh, Laura Bates, uh, which I think was about six, seven years ago she wrote this book. Um, And it's really giving examples of, um, well, everyday sexism, which is things where people say things and perhaps don't really mean or don't really understand how it's taken by the person who receives it. And the people speaking are generally men and the people who receive the comments are generally women. Um, But that's not totally true. But anyway, I think we'll go with that as being the normal norm on this. So, Anna, would you like to sort of lead off? You've even been studying this for your A-level, haven't you? I was going to say that. It's very topical because I'm currently revising and I've been revising feminism. Um, And it's super interesting because one of the topics in feminism is about patriarchy, which is basically kind of systematic um, male, you could say oppression, maybe that's a bit extreme um, of women, but also it's kind of, it describes society that is dominated by men and run in the interests of men. And I thought today we could kind of cover we can talk a little bit about the Everyday Sexism Projects, which I've mentioned earlier. Also, um, how am I, I haven't been to university yet, but this is quite prominent in the project um, that Laura Bates talks about, kind of um, experiences of sexism in university that girls have experienced. Um, and then also there's been kind of current topical situations in the news that we've heard about which I suppose demonstrate and we're kind of more than everyday sexism but how it could lead to more kind of extreme we don't we won't go into details but more extreme cases of kind of it can lead to violence against women or other more serious forms of sexism I suppose you'd say. Right. I mean, obviously, the sort of male dominance of society is something which I think everyone recognises. And it's obviously different in different societies and different countries. Um, But we can't pretend it doesn't exist here and it only exists in other places because clearly it does exist here as well. Um, But I'll give you an example, which I think people don't always appreciate. I mean, obviously, the marriage, when you get married, Mm. Um, you know, as a woman, then you are basically taken along the aisle by your father and handed over to another man. And that is literally um, representing you as property being taken from one person to another, one man to another. And I think that was the origin of that sort of marriage culture. And um, I don't think people really appreciate that when we think about these things. I'd agree. I was about to say that because I feel as though there are examples of everyday sexism that I would never classify sexism because I'm so conditioned to it and I'd never think, oh, this because this is a product of everyday sexism or this is the product of this is historical sexism that is maintained, that has remained in society. Um and also it's interesting to talk about that because I've been learning about how this kind of this is what feminists argue, but I would say it's quite true. There's like six structures of patriarchy sexism that do exist. Um and one is being like kind of linked to the marriage thing is in the household, how prior, I'm sorry, post-marriage women, maybe not so much now. And I think we can talk about how attitudes have changed, but women are more likely to be expected to raise children, um, do the housework. And I think that is quite a traditional view, but I do think that can still remain in certain ways. But maybe you disagree with me, Clive, that that's changed. I would say it has, but I don't know. What do you think? 
Well, I mean, the big difference over the last 40 years or so is obviously the proportion of women who work. Yes. And I mean, it was very small, I think, probably then. And nowadays, it's pretty much every woman starts working at least. Um, perhaps, but then when they get married, maybe they stop. Um, so it's obviously um, much, much different now that men and women, um, particularly in a household, do have to share the, the um, work of the household, running the household, yeah. doing the shopping, doing the washing, all those sort of things. But if you do, um, I've seen lots of surveys on this, and although the men will say, oh, yes, but we do help out around the house. We do this, we do the washing up, we do cut the grass or whatever it is. But proportionally, it still largely falls onto the woman to do most of the actual work. Yeah. And uh, I will admit that probably is the case in my household. No, I say women, it's more that, yeah, women are more likely to do it. And also with when you spoke about women, um, a lot more women working now. I mean, it's not even a lot. It's most. It's very commonplace. Um, I I think there still is the issue that women are. I think things may, are changing because I think I remember a couple of years ago. There's a lot of talk about the gender pay gap and how women are more likely to be paid less than men. But I think work is being done in companies to kind of root that out and to ensure that there isn't as much of a gender pay gap. But if you, it's interesting because I have LinkedIn and I'm thinking in my life, a lot of the men, a lot of the in, like influencers in brackets that I've, in um, inverted commas, sorry, that I follow are actually male and they are usually the CEOs of companies or entrepreneurs. And I actually went out of my way literally last week to Google influential women that I can follow on LinkedIn. So I did a bit of research because I thought I want it's important for girls and for young women and for anybody to have female role models so they can envision themselves in their position when they're older and it's inspiring because if you constantly for me if I'm constantly seeing men in positions of power I'm kind of being I feel like that's telling me that I'm I'm not maybe I'm not as capable of getting there or it's just not that's just not the way it works like and this is this kind of I know it doesn't work like that but it's kind of what I, especially if you're young that's it's kind of the impression you get and I'm talking about maybe like below 12 <laughs> yeah well I mean this is the the issue and obviously it, it is the case that um many of the role models you see will be men because they're the ones who've built the big company and are always on television and so on and in terms of pay the the i suppose this is almost a sexist comment so i apologize in advance but um, <laughs> it is re it is generally said that women are much much more reluctant to perhaps go to their boss and ask for a pay rise yeah i've heard this and and men are much more likely to sort of bang on the door and say oh can i have a word and i, I i've done this really good job and i think i'm worth another five percent or whatever and um, I, I'm sure there's plenty of women who are um, able to do that, but it's obviously a bit more of a cultural thing to actually go and ask for more money. Yeah, I'd agree. No, you not. You don't have to agree. It's all right. <laughs> no, no, but I'm, I mean, as in, I, I don't know because I'm only thinking about myself. But I, I find that a bit tricky. I would find that a bit tricky. I think. Um. Uh, why do you think that is? 
I'm not sure, but I, I did hear. I was quite interested. Apparently, in Norway, yeah. everybody's salary, everybody's who the amount of people, amount of money you're paid is actually public knowledge because the the tax authorities do actually publish people's tax um, receipts or whatever. So you can literally look up somebody and find out how much they earn. So if you're working in the company, say you and perhaps a couple of women and then a whole load of men, you could actually look up everybody's uh, how much they're earning and then make a comparison. You know, obviously some of them may have been there longer, so they've been paid more because of that. But somebody who's comparable with you, perhaps work the same amount of time, who earns more because they're a man or they are a man and they earn more, that gives you a justification to go and knock on your boss's door and say, excuse me. Um, and in Norway, that seems to work quite well. Now, I think in this country, the idea of everyone having their, their pay sort of published online would probably not be very popular. But um, nevertheless, it works in a real country where they do that. So it's an interesting example. That's, I didn't know that. That's really interesting because... No, I didn't, I didn't know about that until recently either. No, yeah. I suppose, yeah, as you said, if if you have knowledge of what other people are being paid, it that... I think that is an issue because I maybe say when I have a job when I'm older, um, I would maybe I'd feel reluctant to ask for a pay rise because I think, but well, what if someone you don't know how much other people are being paid, so you don't have anything to compare it to. And as you said, I think justification is the key word. Like you, you don't, you can't really justify. How do you justify your response? You have. To, I suppose you'd have to justify it by the work you've done. Well, exactly. And there are some jobs where you, you have some comparative things. I mean, for example, if you're a salesperson yeah. and you know that you've brought in so many thousands of pounds of business and you know the person sitting next to you who happens to be a man hasn't done as much. Now, it may not be that he's not working hard. I'm sure he's working just as hard and all the rest of it. But nevertheless, there's a sort of measure you can you can give. Um, a lot that. of this came out a couple of years ago because it was BBC, um, quite well-known BBC presenters or reporters. And there was a woman reporter, woman reporter who found that um, she was being paid significantly less than somebody else who was doing a similar job. This is what I heard about. Yeah, it was quite a big. It was quite a big news story, wasn't it? Um, well, I, yeah, but I mean, she took it to court. That was the reason. So it became right. obviously very public. Good right. on her. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, and, and it did. Uh, all the people involved have now left the BBC, I believe. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that's important because if you have one person taking something to court, it does set a precedent that other people can follow. I think that's really important because when you see other people doing something that you maybe want to do, it gives you the confidence and it kind of shows you how you can go about it. And also if a precedent's been set, then how can someone turn around and say no when someone else has been offered the same thing or has been given a pay rise? They're probably saying, no, no, you can't have it. You're just a woman. I don't really know. If I if I experience that in the workplace, what do I do? How do I report that? What do, How do I go about bringing that up with somebody that's the sort of issue obviously in a we're, we're talking really about big companies i suppose where you may be one employee out of hundreds or even thousands and they tend to have you know hr departments and so on people you can go and talk to who you assume will be able to help you but often in, the, in these cases the sort of feedback is that they don't do anything 
that's the sort of message you get. You've gone in there and said, you know, you think you're being underpaid in comparison with other people and so on. And they'll say, okay, I'll look into it for you, Anna. Um, And then nothing ever happens. And so this is what I think creates a lot of frustration. And that's why people do things like take their employer to court. Um, And um, this is is the only way. So it then becomes one of these things, which is obviously a, a traumatic kind of exercise and I think that it's not just being women or being men but it's actually being British you know we're reluctant perhaps to take things up like that we sort of don't like creating a fuss it's like you know you've you've gone to the restaurant and there's something wrong with your food or the wine doesn't taste right you want to send it back now I've actually done that and I I had sort of the other people I was with are all horrified at the idea I I complained about the wine and asked it to be sent back and have another bottle um, and it, it was a genuine thing, you know. And um, I, I realised sometimes I, I, I've done that, and I realised going, oh goodness, I would I would never have done that. Mm, I agree. I think it is culture that culturally we are as in British people more less likely to cause conflicts, but or not cause conflict, kick up a fuss, as you said. But um, I also wanted to talk about how this is something I've been learning about how women are misrepresented in media and popular culture and I think that's even more prominent nowadays because I see a lot of female music artists who I follow particularly one artist who I follow and um I found that women are so massively sexualized in in the music industry especially with the rise of mu- well with music videos because that's what you see and a lot of um a lot of music artists have Instagram accounts, so you can follow them on there and they post photos. And I just think that doesn't help with, and maybe this is controversial, but I don't think women being represented in that way. You could argue, you can argue it both ways. You can argue that's female empowerment and being confident, and um, that shows that women can be dressed however they want and present themselves in whatever way they want. And I do agree with that, but. You kind of have to think about what message there's that sending, but then you could argue whatever message it's sending that doesn't excuse any form of sexism. Well, exactly, and I think yes, obviously, music videos are something which I um, I think you're you're absolutely right about, but it's it's just the latest form of sort of a bit of exploitation of someone. You, as a new artist, whoever you are, you have to be able to get yourself noticed in some way. Yeah, and obviously, one way for women is to um have that sort of videos make sort of videos they do um and other things you know people wear sort of outrageous costumes and all the rest of it i mean men do that as well it's just really a question of saying me 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 look at me look at me look at me and um, that's the way you get noticed in something like the music industry um i'm not sure how you get out of that it's been going on for many many years yeah yeah, it's all about ensuring that, that I suppose a lot of it is about the the way that people are presented. Um, well, yes, but these days it's different because the technology allows people to do it themselves, like with Instagram. And um, so, you know, you can actually do it, do it yourself. It's all selfies and such things and, and vi- your own videos. Um, and sometimes that perhaps isn't quite the best way of doing it, as you say. And talking about kind of prominent figures such as celebrities... Um, I know personally that I don't know if it's uh, because when you think about it, because I'm thinking obviously Clive, you're male, I'm female. <laughs> um, in the media, a lot of stories that you hear where it's violence, violence in the cases of violence, um, 
you always I find that you're usually hearing that it's inflicted upon women and I I wonder what you think effect that has on people my age or just women in general because I've noticed that um on the mayor of London Instagram they're running a campaign which essentially well the video that I watched was about how it basically flipped it around. So on a night out, when it was talking about how a man was in the video and he was basically taking on, acting in a way that he felt like a woman would have to act on a night out. So for example, he was, there were texts to his friends and there were thought bubbles like, oh, well, I need to make sure that I know how to get, like halfway through the night, he was thinking, well, I need to make sure how I, I, I need to make sure I know how to get home. I need to, Maybe I shouldn't drink as much because I need to make sure that I'm sober for when I'm walking home so that I'm not in any danger. Uh, what should I wear tonight? And all these questions that... Do you feel like you have to th- consider all this when you go on a night out or when you did? or <laughs> or Because it is different for women. I, there is a lot kind of you have to think about, especially with like getting home and stuff. I don't feel like I can walk home by myself on a night out in the dark, even in my own hometown. I see what you're saying, but I mean, to some extent, obviously everyone um, probably should go through that sort of process to think about these things because you are putting yourself at risk in that circumstance you've fallen out of a pub sorry we've walked out of a pub (laughs) but then you you know you only live 10 minute walk away from there but you can walk that 10 minutes by yourself in the middle of the night it is obviously something which is worrying and obviously we've all seen and read about all these incidents where something's happened to someone under those circumstances it is very rare and it's pretty rare around this part of the world because it's generally safe but that doesn't mean it isn't happening sometimes Um, so I think the answer to your question is sort of yes. I think I would think along those same lines. Um, but I mean, I think women do have to think more carefully about it because you are sort of more vulnerable. Um, and um, that's just unfortunately how things are. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's frustrating as a woman to, that it's like that. Well, I mean... Obviously, it's also about whether there's public transport available or you feel safe getting into a taxi or something, which you might not by yourself. It's one of those things where the general advice is don't do it by yourself. (laughs) You always need to have somebody with you. Because I sometimes don't feel safe getting into a taxi by myself. You might think, oh, that's safe because I'm not walking the streets. But actually, you don't even know that taxi driver at all. Well, no, I I can understand that. And I I would certainly not recommend doing that, to be honest, I think is my view. But obviously, if there was more than one of you, but even if it's more than one of you, and one of you is dropped off first, then suddenly you're by yourself as well. So it is a tricky thing to think about. Yeah, it is. And I was, yeah. I was just going to go sort of go back a bit. I mean, the whole thing about sexism um, in the sort of 1970s, when I was kind of your age, um, it seems to me that this would be, something which was very common then you know if you as a woman walked past a building site then men on the building site would probably whistle at you and maybe make some rude remarks and so on and most women reacted by just simply sort of staring ahead perhaps marching a bit faster and just walking past and trying to ignore them and uh, that will be a sort of thing that happened really quite all the time. Now, I don't think that does happen much these days because I think builders have been sort of warned about it. But equally, these days, building sites t- tend to be fenced in in a way they weren't in those days. So it's, it's less likely to have that interaction that you wouldn't necessarily see people walking past. 
And I think that's something that has changed. People are very much more aware of that kind of thing. Um, the one that concerns me, and I've heard this from quite a few women I know, that on trains and particularly tube trains in London, where you're basically standing up and really all sort of pressed in together, um, they have often said that various people have, they thought, inappropriately touched them, shall we say. I'll put it like that. Um, now, obviously, that's quite a tricky thing, because if you are literally jammed into a tube train, you are pushed against people, and it's probably quite difficult to move at all sometimes. So it may be um, an impression rather than perhaps a reality, but I don't know. What do you think? Um, yeah, it, that is a tricky situation, because you can't really distinguish between whether it was an accident or purposeful, but it's um, that reminds me of... Um, on there there was a for a couple maybe a couple of years ago there was kind of a whole thing on upskirting have you heard about that oh yes i couldn't really believe that i must admit i thought what <laughs> yeah it's it's that and that just reminds me because i think that could happen on public transport or and i just think why why are men doing this <laughs> how can you why do you feel like that you can do that and we and I haven't really heard of any cases of women doing it to men. And I know maybe that doesn't work because... Actually, that doesn't really work because upskirting, I suppose, is kind of when a woman's wearing a... Typically would maybe occur when a woman's wearing a skirt. Um, maybe a Scotsman wearing his kilt. Maybe, yeah. But I think there's so much change that needs to happen. But it's a bit like, where do you start? That's also driven by technology. Everyone's carrying around a camera these days really in their phone. And yeah. so they're suddenly doing it. I mean, I have seen people just literally taking pictures of people, other people on on a tube train. And I thought that was a bit weird. Um, and if they did that to me, I'd probably complain about it, frankly. That is bizarre. That is really bizarre. But before we run out of, I know, just before we run out of time, I want to go linking back to Laura Bates. So I actually was watching a TED talk about her. Um, and she was talking about Freshers Week with, in universities. And she was saying during Freshers Week, between 2008 and 2012, I can't remember the exact year, but it wasn't super recent, but she was saying, I think the, the issues still remain, partially, um, that there was a massive sur surge, surge in entries to the Everyday Sexism Project that she runs. For example, so there's a young, she gave this example, there was a young woman studying physics at a London university, which is naturally a male-dominated subject, and she got this email from her University Physics Society. It said, Fresh as lunch, this will be mainly a chance for you to scope out who's in your department and stake your claim early on the one in five girls. And she, <laughs> how shocking is that? From So the, these male peers being sent that message from a uni-affiliated email to view their, she, Laura Bates argued that they were being told to view their female peers as sexual prey, which maybe sounds a bit extreme, but that's, I don't know, have those attitudes changed or do attitudes like that remain? And what's worrying is that that's an institution who's promoting that message to men. So are men being told, it just, yeah. What do you think about that? Um, I find that quite shocking. But I mean, if, you, um, if you've ever seen the film or read about the origins of Facebook, of course, that was exactly what it was for. It was basically a um, way of collecting together images and details of all the women freshers in the university concerned. Was it? I, is that I've seen the movie, but I can't remember. Yeah, 
the social network is the movie. Yeah, 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 yeah I've seen it, but I can't remember that. <laughs> well, that, that was that was a sort of driving force to start with it. Would, you know, wouldn't it be nice to know who all these women are? And um, so they collected all the pictures together and put them all onto a, a website, and basically that was the beginning of Facebook. Mm. The thing is, I don't think that would be... <clears throat> I'm not sure that would be accepted these days because linking to something else with the rise of the me too movement i think women are becoming a lot more assertive and willing to call out sexism so i do think because there was a so actually interestingly i learned about this at school so prior to my friends going to university we had quite a lot of powerpoints in our um form times at school about kind of about university and preparing for it and um there was a case there were basically cases of group chats where um students were making really derogatory comments and saying that things they were going to do to girls etc etc and I don't know I think universities actually has quite a big culture of this because there's freshers events where women this is what Laura Bates argues where women are being valued by their sexualization alone whereas um whereas men are kind of presented as being more powerful this is kind of more general but more powerful talented and intelligent and um there's yeah I think there's certain freshers events which which kind of target women and there's been cases with that Laura Bates brought up in her TED talk that girls have felt that have written in the everyday sexism project online that they felt so uncomfortable with what they were being asked to do in freshers week and I think it's such an issue with my age group because there's so much peer pressure well, I think um, I've read about this in other universities, which we won't necessarily name, but I mean, it has been an issue that the the students' union starts the fresher weeks things, which obviously the, the intention is so that everyone who's going to be at the university um, will get to know each other in some ways. But it does tend to end up being sort of, you know, quite a lot of alcohol involved and so on. And this um, is not necessarily going to be very helpful to mm. women students. But of course, these days, women students do... Uh, largely comprise half of the intake in some in some courses obviously it's more um, but it's not like in the old days perhaps 30 40 years ago when women would suddenly find you know you're one of four in a group of 60 or something like that yeah i suppose strength in numbers in that sense hope so and hope a bit of a sisterhood to help but that doesn't always work either now i think it is a very difficult thing but it's, it's that transition you're just going through really from sort of child to adult and it can be a bit of a jolt I think if you um, get involved well when you go to university it can be a bit of a shocker Um, so that's something you can look forward to or Mm. not of course you're probably going to go to a university in a different country that may be even more different yeah we'll have to see about that Um, I think it is difficult though because to call out sexism sometimes because if you're in a French group sometimes it's like they say if you see someone being bullied you should call you should um it's recommended to tell an adult or stand up for somebody etc um but with when there's sex and occurs i think some people don't feel confident enough to be assertive about it and say no actually i don't like that the way that you've maybe there should i don't know maybe there should be more teaching in schools about sexism mm. Well, it's a very difficult thing to get across, I suppose, isn't it? And, and there's so many sort of varieties of this. I suppose you, what you have to do is have your own very clear view about what is and yes. isn't acceptable. And basically then also that you will call out or you will 
complain or you will um you know say to somebody what you think about what they just said or did in a way which is i suppose not provocative but basically to um you know not to cause a, a fight or something but basically sort of say you should not have said that or some such thing or can you apologize this kind of approach to things that would be my suggestion but it's easy to suggest this and not necessarily to implement it under the particular circumstances which may occur yeah i think that is important to kind of set your boundaries because then you kind of would know how you're going to respond in a situation. Whereas I think sometimes it's a bit like, oh, I don't know what to say here because also, yeah, yeah. Because sometimes as well, you might not be in a position where you feel like it's safe enough to call somebody out or you'd feel if you're on your own or if it's dark or if you're in a secluded area, it kind of depends on a lot of things. Well, I read recently about somewhere where they, they was outside, I think, a nightclub. They, they found a, a woman basically laying on the ground. And obviously, um, she was she, she was alive, obviously, but she'd obviously been um, drinking too much and whatever, and literally had fallen over and no one had done anything to help her for a, a while. And this included like the bouncers at the nightclub who obviously could see her, but didn't do anything, this kind of thing. And um, she was rushed to hospital and, and so on on the back of that. And I just thought how awful that was. I think, again, she was probably sort of student age. Um, and this sort of attitude. So people uh, don't want to get involved as well. That's that's kind of a really scary thing. Um, and I have seen that myself on odd occasions when someone's fallen over or, or something like that. And I've gone to help and other people say, oh, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, the last time that happened to me, it was a man. So it was probably all right. I helped him up, an elderly man. But I mean, if it had been a, a young woman who fallen over and I was helping him up, then actually people regard that as being something that's a bit sort of not what they would want to do either. Mm. <sighs> yeah. I'm sorry, Anna. I think this is a very complicated it is. subject. It is. You kind of have to just judge it and think, as long as you can provide justification for why you've done something. But it has been... There's been... I know there's situations where a woman has called a man out on something that the man didn't mean or other way around and it's kind of like who do you believe and there's there's not really there's not really one definition of everyday sexism because there's so many different ways that someone could be sexist yeah 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 okay I think we've we've probably tried to cover this we probably could spend several hours on the yeah I, I'd tried. agree this is just a, <laughs> but let's not a do dip that. in let's the just... ocean <laughs> A drop in the ocean, sorry. Absolutely. Not a dip. A drop in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, look, um, let's let's leave it there. And I think it's food for thought is probably the, the um, easiest way of describing it. And I think that it, it is part of that. You have to really think about what you're saying and what you're doing, um, perhaps before doing it. So I suppose you have to be a little bit, don't be too impulsive in things sometimes and say, oh, you know, because otherwise you may feel it's been misinterpreted by someone or you may inadvertently say something which is really hurtful to somebody else that kind of thing so it's about judging what you say and so on against a sort of you've got your own standards which i think you should try and uphold that's probably the thing to um, start from. i think you know you've been brought up in, been brought up in a certain way and, and to treat people in a certain way and try and stick to that definitely and just i suppose it's about thinking part of it is of trying not to be sexist thinking am I how is this going to make somebody feel um how would I feel if I was it's kind of just basic like how would I feel if someone treated me like that 
and just see everyone like regardless of gender treat them in the same way yeah i mean up to a point you <laughs> can't always do that um but yes i think um uh i don't know it's very hard and i find it quite difficult sometimes because i sort of stop myself saying something which i would have perhaps in the past thought was perfectly straightforward and isn't necessarily sexist but it might be misunderstood or misinterpreted so um it does make you a bit more careful about how you speak mm. to people well, it does me anyway yeah i suppose <laughs> are we targeting men here well, I think they probably are the main guilty people, but they're not. It's not exclusively the case. But um, I think this is what this is largely about, isn't it? I mean, we started off by saying it's a patriarchal society um, issue. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think so. we should stop. Right, let's stop now. Thank you very much, Anna, and nice to speak to you. And um, on a complicated and technical subject, yes. which. Um, and obviously, one you've been actually studying as part of your um, your not degree, part of your A level. Anyway, all right. So thank you for that. And you've been listening to the Generation Gap uh, podcast here for Radio Verulam, and you've been listening to me, Clive, and Anna. And we've been trying to deal with a very complicated and serious subject, which um, perhaps we haven't quite managed. But anyway, it's an interesting discussion. So thanks thank very you. much, Anna. And you can listen to. You can listen to the Generation Gap podcast on Radio Verum's website, www.radioverulam.com. And you can also get them through Apple and Google and Spotify and everywhere else you find podcasts. Thank you for listening and uh, look out for us again. Thanks. Bye.